Hey man, 261k. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to tr I'm trying to sit in on a uh, webinar to run for office. We're about to start. Follow this link. Here we go. It should be starting right about now. So, how are you guys doing, man? I guess you're still alive. I guess you still sur you survived Trump virus. Congratulations. That's quite a tribulation. Still waiting for all my friends to get back, come back to me. And um, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna do my pets a favor, call five two zero seven two four fifty nine hundred. That's Payment Animal Care Center, and um, they're ransoming my pets for fifty three k. And today. We'll put in a um, emergency motion for emergency request. Give them all back. Right, I'm trying to fucking. On it. Um, waiting for the. Dang. Uh, Facebook? Oh, Facebook, okay, there it is. We work with pro-democracy, pro-freedom candidates who are ready to solve problems rather than play politics. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Yep. Let's go. Let's get this party started, man. Starting soon. Okay, it's the County First Academy. Oh, Country First Academy intro to running for office. See here about uh, getting my Bluetooth going on. This is starting soon. It's starting any minute here. So um, what else? I I cover everything. Minus touch publishes. Hot on the trail of Trumpy von Schittler going to fucking jail. Do music and comedy. I do like TikToks once in a while. And what else? So I do art, comedy, music, and ancient history. Do more Gaia programming while I've got it. What's going on? This thing, how come it's not starting? Come on, start. Start it up like a flower. Trying to get a. This was today was the deadline for the 22nd is the deadline to get 53k. Post 53.1k fines and get all my animals back, or at least uh, get a hearing to get all my animals back. And they dropped the they dropped the felony charge. Yeah, 
and they're dragging their ass about the civil charge as if they're going to try to nail me on something so they don't look bad. That's what's going on with that. Just want to drag it out. And they want to seize all my pets. They probably, they would love to keep my pets. I have very nice, beautiful pets. And they're like lovely, sweet, tame, beautiful, unique. All my mini chickens, my harvest, little harvest of mini chickens. So I was just gearing up to sell. But, uh, yeah, they just wanted to shut me down. They want to shut us down. They want to starve us out. Fucking hate people who, uh, who don't need them. Don't want anything to do with them. We're just peaceful, law-abiding people. Trying to run, you know, businesses. Business. Trying to do business. But they fucking geofenced us. So if you hear this... It's a fucking miracle, and if that's you, Detective Noon, go fuck yourself. You're not getting away with it, motherfucker. Badge number 7977, yeah. I'm not the first person you unlawfully arrested. It's fucking persecution. Fuck you, Detective Noon. Fucking pig. You don't deserve to have a badge, you smug asshole. According to my, just because your dad is a veterinarian... You think you know everything? Fuck you. You don't. And you don't even know how to do your job. Anyway. And also the, like, the Pima Animal Control? Shit, man. They didn't do any fact-checking at all. None of them. And these motherfucking pigs, they're amped up. They're on drugs. They're taking stuff that they get from work. They see stuff all day long. They get stuff and then they they do it. So that this dude came uh, to pick day. He lied. He lied about his name. Said his name was Francisco Santa Maria. His name was like Parasite Policte. I don't know if this thing's gonna fucking start or not. Okay. Supposed to start now. And they're not starting. Alright. Oh, it's, yeah, it's supposed to start five minutes ago. Okay, here we go. Connecting to broadcast. Here we go. What are their frustrations that his position has the power to address? What are their hopes and fears? And what ideas do they have that could be useful to your campaign, whether they be policy-related or good connections that will be helpful when running? The old adage is true. Information is power. And the key to gaining more information is asking tons of questions and employing the answers as you move forward. And with that, I'll hand it up to Michael. Thanks. That was great advice. What I'd like to share with you now is a formula that will be helpful to you no matter what you may decide to run for. And it's good to figure out as early as possible. What is your win number and your vote goal? So pretty much everyone running for office is running to win, right? But that obviously doesn't mean you need to get everyone to vote for you. You may live in an area with 100,000 people. 
But of those, perhaps only 30,000 are registered voters. And for your particular election, the historical average may be that only 10,000 of those registered voters show up to the polls. By the way, we're getting that 10,000 number by averaging the number of voters who turned out over the last three similar elections for your race. So in that case, in most jurisdictions, your win number would be 50% of the people who historically show up plus one. So in this case, you'd be working with a win number of 5,001, which is nowhere close to half of 100,000 residents. Now your vote goal is a little different. It's the number you should aim to hit or exceed to give yourself a buffer in the event voter turnout is higher than average. To get to your vote goal, multiply the historical turnout number, back to this example, it's 10,000 people, by 0.52. The answer will give you what 52% is. Here, it's 5,200 votes. So your vote goal would be to meet or exceed 5,200 votes to maximize the chances you'll hit your win number. Now, hopefully I've demonstrated that you don't need to be a math whiz to figure this stuff out. It's just a simple formula that will give you a lot more insight, hopefully some encouragement when you're approaching a run. I see someone in the chat just asked how to find the numbers to get plugged in above. That's a great question and something our academy helps candidates figure out if they need help. Those can all be found in your local election office or secretary of state depending on the office you're running for. I want to keep things moving, so we'll circle back to your question in a bit. But for now, let's move on to the next topic. Thank you, Michael. This next piece of advice can't be emphasized enough. Don't turn down help. You can't win alone. If you haven't already done so, it's worth giving some thought to who should be on your team. We recommend a good mix of people who know you and your community well, and people who know campaigns well. And a volunteer coordinator. And to Smaller races will need fewer staffers. On connecting with the community as a candidate. After the big roles are filled, there are plenty of other tasks that need to be powered by humans, like knocking on doors, phone calls, installing signs, and distributing literature to name just a few. Bottom line, if someone offers to help, give them the job. It's much easier and a lot more fun to win with a people-powered campaign. And that leads us really nicely into the next topic, and that is, campaigns are still won in person. Now, what does that mean? Well, you hear a lot about the importance of digital campaigning and how much money and press are driven by a campaign's social media. And don't get me wrong, that's really important, but they're really is no substitute for in-person campaigning either by you or volunteers and staff from your campaign. From door knocking to bigger gatherings, a five-minute conversation goes a long way. When people see your name on the ballot, you want them to know who you are and what you stand for. Your campaign should also keep track of every person it knows of who might be interested in helping you or voting for you. 
Now in larger districts, you're obviously not going to be able to meet everyone. And so you'll focus on the people who are most likely to support you and encourage them to use their own sphere of influence to advocate for you. You can find the data necessary for targeting by going to your local election office or through a political party. And regardless, you'll likely engage a data vendor to get the information you need to campaign most efficiently and effectively. I see there are great questions in the chat, and we'll get right to them after our final topic. Thanks, everyone. Yes, thanks for all the fantastic participation in the chat. Now we're going to jump into a topic that makes many first-time candidates nervous, and that's fundraising. And while there's plenty to be said about the downsides of money in politics, the reality is that unless the laws change, we've got to raise money to run a campaign. And good fundraising can be the difference between winning and losing. Why? Because the more people there are who are willing to invest in your candidacy, the better the odds that you have the other types of support necessary to win. Now, you might not think you'll need that much money, especially if you're in a smaller local election, but you'll definitely want to think through all the conceivable expenses. We're talking everything from website domain to postage stamps and set a goal for how much you need to raise to cover those costs. And then, once you have your goal, there's one simple step. And that's normal. And I do promise you, it gets easier. Asking can bring up lots of fears in candidates. Fear of rejection, fear of awkwardness, fear that you won't succeed. But campaigning is all about asking. And the best advice I can give you is that if you're not afraid of asking someone for their vote to get you elected, you shouldn't be afraid of asking them for their contribution to do the same. In either case, the worst they can do is say no, right? And statistically speaking, for every no you get, you're closer to the next yes. And you will get yeses. Your contributors are also likely to give you more than treasure. They're often people that you're asking for money to fund your vision and candidacy, which probably aligns with their own values. Once you believe in yourself and your ability to serve, and I do believe this academy can help you with that, it will become easier to ask someone else to believe in you too. We'll go much further into all of this in the academy, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you definitely need to look up the campaign finance laws for your state. Find out how much you can raise, how much an individual can donate, how donations have to be logged and reported. This is definitely where a treasurer can be very helpful. But just make sure you've got your I's dotted and your T's crossed when it comes to the money. And with that, I'll pass it back. All right, that was great. Thank you, Michael. So now, let me turn to some of the questions you have. I've seen a lot of similar questions, so I'll try to consolidate them where possible. Let's see. Okay. Is there any fee to work with you guys? No. 
Everything we do at Country First Academy is free of charge for our candidates. Great question. All right. Do I need to be rich to run for office? No, absolutely not. Now, of course, being able to self-fund your campaign might be an advantage, but those campaigns can... Is the academy affiliated with a political party? No, we are completely nonpartisan. You can be from any party or no party. What's important is that you're ready to use your campaign and office to defend democracy and expand freedom. All right, what else? Okay, do you support candidates running for city council? Yes, absolutely. I'm actually glad you asked this. We actually focus in particular on candidates running for local offices like school board, city council, election clerks, things like that. Now, if a candidate is planning to run for something at the state or federal level, we're also happy to help. But most of our candidates are running for local office, which is where we really need good, reasonable people. And the bonus is that politics usually is less toxic the closer it gets to the people. Okay, how about one last question before we talk about how to work together? Okay, this one actually segues perfectly. What's next if I'm interested in moving forward? Okay, put a three in the chat if you're actually wondering the same question. Oh, wow, awesome. planning on running or are already running then we know how to move forward so you should see a button on your screen right now prompting you to click through that form once we're done here complete that form submit it to us and you'll hear from us very soon i hope that sounds good that we have an opportunity to help as many people as possible run and win that's what this is all really about. And I see there are still some questions in the chat, so if we didn't get yours, we'll be sure to follow up with you to get you the information you requested. Thank you all for taking the time to join us, and thanks to the team for showing up to make this webinar possible. Take care, everyone, and hopefully we'll be working together soon. That was kind of bogus. Uh. So this is uh, Elizabeth Warren's plan to root out corruption in Washington, ban all individual stock ownership by members of Congress. 
cabinet secretaries, federal judges, and White House staff while in office, padlocked the revolving door between industry and government, create a new independent anti-corruption agency dedicated to enforcing federal ethics laws, and much more. Right, so you guys still there? Yes, hello, darlings. Shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Aridstone and KPYT Pasquayaki Travel Radio, Travel Radio, Travel Radio on the Res with Trista Show, Travel Radio. Travel Radio. Let's see what Live Touch is up to. Everybody go subscribe. Mamidas Touch. Biden's administration is taking down Bob Menendez. Well, actually, it's it's the Justice Department doing this, their fucking job. Stop trying to blame everything on Biden. Did you know that people Stop everywhere are recommending... The Justice Department is doing its job. Like Biden is persecuting. Your favorite corrupt Good RX. My neighbor showed me the app. Congressmen who engaged in bribery and with foreign Accepting bribes from a foreign government, Egypt. Thank you. Help me save on my kids' allergy pills. Uh, dropping off a prescription. Americans everywhere are sharing the savings. Another good reason to check that RX. Lock up Trump. This is Fox. Diaper Donald. I like it. Yeah, it's mine. The price is blowing my mind. I feel so rich. Yeah. I feel like a billionaire. I'm shopping like a billionaire. Menendez was dead set against Venezuelan amnesty, and Biden just gave half a million Venezuelan social security numbers. So Menendez is cooked, and President Biden has a wider lane in foreign affairs now. Who's this door? But we're getting to know Joe Biden, aren't we? He sees an obstacle, and he doesn't move around it. He removes it. 
Trump indicted. Fuck off. Menendez I indicted. Minnie Madoff took the money. Trump's close to say it spills the beans. Federal prosecutor brings receipts. Hi, everyone. Harry here to talk about some really incriminating new evidence against Yay. Donald Trump in the Mar-a-Lago case. The evidence comes from uh, an aide, a longtime aide who was with him starting in the White House in 2018 and went with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago until she finally uh, quit because of her uneasiness with all that was going on. So, recall, in Mar-a-Lago, the Mar-a-Lago case, he is charged with absconding with classified documents, etc., but also with obstruction uh, and obstructing the investigation into it. And there's, you know, the, the, the broad outline is he stalls and bogs and weaves and then finally he receives this subpoena, which should have been anybody's signal that the gig is up and it's time to comply. And instead, Evan Corcoran, his lawyer, comes down and he uh, basically keeps him in the dark, lies to him. Uh, and then that's also where Walt Nauda and Carlos de Oliveira come in in terms of hiding boxes and the like. So that's obstruction. And um, Molly Michael, the, the aide, uh, her, uh, she gave a talk to investigators last year, and we now know from reports what she said, presumably through her um, lawyers, I would, I would think, or else maybe Trump's ah. lawyers, because that um, grand jury material has been turned over. But it ain't good. Um, okay, now the headline here that you're maybe already seeing is how he writes to-do lists for her and does it repeatedly on classified documents. So he's got classified documents there and he actually is making lists and sending them uh, to her. And, you know, in a kind of general um, sense, that's really riveting testimony. It just shows how cavalier he is, how he doesn't care a fig about you know classification status and the like. And again, he does it repeatedly. In fact, they serve the search warrant eventually. They go search and get everything, but these, these uh, note cards uh, to, and to-do lists on classified documents, they're still at the bottom of her desk and she retrieves them and turns them over. So that's, you know, you'll definitely put on that testimony and it will show um, his complete indifference to the law. But more important is a couple statements that he uh, gave her. So this is just at the very time when he's obstructing and trying to get away with provi having provided only 15 uh, boxes when there are many more first in storage and that's what now there's moving around, etc. So Molly Michael has told investigators that first he told her that um, Trump he found out the FBI wanted to interview her and he told her, you don't know anything about the boxes. Now the uh, news reports um, are saying, well, that's a little ambivalent what he means. I don't see it, especially, you know, they'll be able appropriately to ask her her understanding of this. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty damn clear. That means, you know, you, you do know something about the boxes and you're not going to tell the FBI and you're going to lie about it. That's um, 
conspiracy to obstruct, you know, 101 that is so um, down the middle telling somebody to lie to the FBI. And there are other things that that he told her. By the way, she is in the indictment. She is Trump employee number two. Remember how, like, Tavares, the guy who, who lied first, uh, about uh, his connections with uh, Nalton and the like is Trump employee number four. Well, she is um, number two, and the testimony is very strong. She knew. It also said that he was um, trying to hide it in- increasingly, and she told him, um, you know, are you sure you want to do this? So many people, including maintenance workers, knew otherwise. No, there aren't 15 uh, boxes and you're still claiming it. Are you sure you want to? She actually says that to him and that turns over. That's also obstruction 101. She knows that he is uh, basically lying to uh, investigators and, um, uh, you know, tries gently to, to talk him down. Um, The indictment charges this precise obstruction. It says that one of his acts of obstruction is he provided just some of the documents called for by the subpoena while claiming he was cooperating fully. So basically, you could prove this important uh, part of the overall charges and obstruction, and there's also conspiracy to commit obstruction with Nautende Oliveira pretty much just through Molly Michael, she would appear to be a really credible um, witness who, you know, goes down with him, realizes he's lying, turns over uh, evidence to the uh, FBI, tells the truth, and is and is very uneasy about it. But you can see, you know, one of the actual, you know, biggest pieces of evidence to to argue about and talk about a closing argument is. You don't know anything about um, the boxes. Really bad, just just flat out obstruction from a guy who knows, and she knows, he knows, and he knows, she knows, he knows. It's uh, it's really um, just just down the middle obstruction. In that sense, it's going to be very um, incriminating, volatile testimony. He basically has no way to rebut it if he took the stand, which he won't. Actually, number one, he could say something like, I never said that. But really, that would, that, even if he did so, it would, I don't think it would strike a jury as credible. So um, the, this uh, you know, exchange and the whole kind of course of dealing after the subpoena comes, as detailed by Molly Michael, pretty much um, seals, seals his fate on the obstruction count, it seems to me, particularly if, as she really appears to be on paper, uh, she's that kind of uh, credible witness who you know, wasn't looking to, uh, to uh, inculpate Trump, wasn't given a deal to keep out of jail, anything like that, but it's just a truth teller. And the truth is, he was totally obstructing justice, exactly as alleged in the indictment. Talk to you later. Yay. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this video and other Talking Feds content, please take a second to like and subscribe. Talk to you later. Yeah, check out the Talking Feds. I should listen to Talking Feds. Introducing the Filtersorb Whole House Water Conditioner, a complete
Great show. Molly Michaels, was it? Blessed be the truth tellers. This alone, no other breach of oath must disqualify Trump from ever running for janitor in the White House. Anyone in the right mind would be crazy not to flip on Trump. Trump in the find out phase, he's finding out exactly who won't be doing time for his crimes. Hmm. I'm a Canadian and I have to tell you that we are really starting to become concerned that Trump will not be stopped. We would be sitting ducks here sitting next to a country run by a dictator. Look at what happened to Ukraine. Molly knew how dangerous the documents case was to her personally and was smart enough to get out of the situation by cooperating. Molly Michael, thank you for finally coming clean and telling the truth better late than never. There's been two kinds of flipping going on lately. Trump aides flipping on him and Democrats flipping Republican seats in elections. Trump and his allies must be saying themselves flipping hell. <laughs> Trump needs to go to prison, not house arrest, not club fed. <laughs> club fed. who are still running free. All the Congress members. Everybody called the Justice Department and demand this menace to society it is immediately locked up. And remind them they forgot to charge and remove from office. All the 160-plus Republican insurrectionists. As Mark Garland to appoint a special count, special prosecutor for all the Congress members. In fact, I should do that right now. Talking feds. Destroying themselves. GOP in utter chaos as desperate Trump begs for help. Lights on with Jessica Denson. Oh, oh come on. The GOP is going through some things. <laughs> Many things. I'm Jessica Denson. And Where's the poetry, Jessica? Jessica. 
So this is where we are. A criminal defendant facing trial for 91 felony counts, including oh, the yeah. overthrow of, of American democracy, yeah. is calling the shots of one of our two major political parties. Kevin McCarthy is speaker in name only. He has lost all control of his caucus as Donald Trump pulls the strings of his congressional henchmen, begging them to defund his prosecutions and literally bringing our government to the brink of a shutdown. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective. Just today, Jack Smith added a war crimes prosecutor to the cases against the former president. Don't let the irony be lost on you. Huh. To appease his extreme MAGA caucus, McCarthy denied Zelensky the opportunity to address a joint session of Congress this week, right after the Ukrainian president reminded the world at the UN that Vladimir Putin currently has a warrant out for his arrest for crimes against humanity. Covering for dictators and dictators in waiting is now a top priority of the Republican Party. From Donald Trump to George Santos to Texas AG Ken Paxton, this party has rejected every opportunity to cut off the poison fruit. And now the whole tree is rotten. And yes, this is a uniquely Republican problem. No one is perfect, but when Democrats face corruption in their ranks, they root it out. Just look at the growing calls for Senator Menendez to resign after his indictment today on three counts, including bribery. Democrats are capable of putting politics aside in the interest of justice, and they do. Name one Democrat who is calling the DOJ's indictment of Menendez a witch hunt or political prosecution. There are none. This is just further proof that the GOP's constant projection that a justice system weaponized by Biden to harm his political opponents is anything but. That's what Donald Trump did time and time again. And in case you've forgotten or are tuning into Lights On for the first time, I know because I lived it. On the flip side, the utter dysfunction of the GOP hasn't stopped the Biden administration from having a highly effective week, from ramping up support for Ukraine to launching a long-awaited climate initiative and taking the lead to end the mortifying epidemic of gun violence. And we just learned that President Biden will stand on the picket line with the UAW next week as the auto workers union rightfully shunned Donald Trump. Far from destroying America like the outgoing patriarch at Fox News would have this country believe, Democrats are restoring it and building it up. They're fighting fascism in our schools and communities and defending basic freedoms that Republicans are ruthlessly trying to strip away. The Democratic Party, while imperfect, is our front line to defend democracy. And in this moment, every one of us can come together to fortify those defenses. It's great to be joined by someone who is all in on that front line. And it's ladies night again on Lights On. I'm so happy to introduce to you someone you know and love as politics girl, Lee McGowan. <clears throat> Lee, welcome to Lights On. Oh, thank you so much, Jessica. It's a pleasure. First time caller. <laughs> yeah, I really, I'm really excited to bring the female energy. I think that, uh, you know, women in this moment in democracy are such a powerful force, and what you have done with your platform is just a beautiful example of that. Well, thank you. You know, years ago, I heard uh, the Dalai Lama quote that said, he said, Western women would save the world. And I thought, that's pretty interesting, because we're the people that have been sort of uh, been given a mouthpiece late in the game, and yet I think we're running with it, uh, to mix my metaphors. You know, I really think that 
women uh, are the ones being attacked in this country right now. We're the ones whose rights are being taken away from us. But I also think that there's so many women who are really standing up and doing the work. Last week on my podcast, we were talking to uh, the executive director of Field Team 6, which does democratic registration across America. Um, incredible organizing. Just an incredible organization. Yeah. But he was saying that the primary group of people who volunteer for him are women. And he was like, I really want to call out that because as a man running this company, the amount of people who come to me that work for me that get Democrats registered. And we're talking like over the past four years, they've got 2.4 million Democrats registered. Like this is no small feat. And he's like, they're primarily women and people of color. And I find that incredible because these are the people who really are front lines to our rights being taken away. And I'm so glad that we're out here speaking our minds, saying what's what, and uh, and standing up for what needs to be done. Yeah, I caught some clips of that interview, which was great. And I noticed that he, you know, he really identifies Field Team 6 as a Democrat registration, arm, yeah. not nonpartisan, which is so important because yeah, no, you know, it was... I was trying to say in my open, like, this is, you know, this is really part of my awakening and my my shining a light on what needs to be done in this moment in, a, in the in our democracy. I'm an independent. I fully support Democrats. And if you believe in democracy, if you love freedom, that's the only choice right now. We don't have the luxury of choosing the Republican Party or, God forbid, a third party, which I want to talk <laughs> about that a little bit later. We have to unite behind Democrats to save what we have now. Well, I think that listening to your introduction, I think we can, I would love it if we could get behind the idea of finally putting this ridiculous idea that both parties are the same to rest, right? Like you were mentioning some of the things in your opening, like this week alone, Biden administration took their first steps towards removing medical bills from people's credit scores to improve the credit rating of, you know, millions of people who had the bad luck of getting sick, right? The Republicans would still like to get rid of the Affordable Care Act because they really don't care if you get sick. Um, but they certainly don't care if you got back credit because of it. Um, the president just announced the first ever White House uh, Office Gun and Violence Gun Violence Protection Program because, as he said, and I thought he said it beautifully, thoughts and prayers are just not enough, right? Biden used his executive power to create kind of like a New Deal-style American Climate Corps, modeled to make new green jobs and training programs and and employ a whole bunch of young people, like twenty thousand young adults, to build trails and plant trees and help install solar panels and do other work to sort of boost conservation and help prevent wildfires. And the Republicans got into a fight with the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg in a congressional hearing about the difference between climate change and seasons, right? Like these the parties are not the same. And you were talking about um, this Bob Menendez thing, right? Like Bob Menendez is a big, important Democrat. He's the chairman of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. He is like a ranking member of the Senate, and we only have a one-seat difference, and yet he is going to be asked by the Democrats to step down because he and his wife were indicted on federal bribery charges. So we can't pretend that these two parties are the same because, like I said, in this week alone, you got Ken Paxton in Texas just acquitted by his own party for misconduct, bribery, corruption, in a case that was overseen by Dan Patrick, who took $3 million 
from a group supporting Ken Paxton. So we have to stop pretending that these this two is an equal yeah it's yeah, not the it's, same. Like, it's not two sides not of the same coin it's not even the same currency and we have no. to stop doing that no. and you know i think the menendez thing is so important i mean you the first senator uh, out of minnesota democrat dean phillips called for his resignation eric holder has very vocally put a tweet out called for his resignation um i've interviewed crew on this program many times citizens for responsibility and ethics in washington i mean they've been some of the most vocal advocates for, you know, prosecution of Trump, invocation of the 14th Amendment, um, and yet they are calling for Senator Menendez to resign as well. It's such a, I mean, you know, <laughs> I try to bring um, lights on this into a human perspective, not just a political perspective. You know, me as a, as a woman, when I faced all of these things that I went through and how to handle them, there was so much introspection, you know, looking at my own self, where did I make a mistake? Where can I correct myself? And that's vital on an individual level or on a government level to help and growth and progress. If you cannot identify your own wrongdoing and root it out and correct it, um, that's, that's a, you know, just spells disaster and decay and destruction and death. <laughs> I mean, you have to be able to realize when you're wrong, whether it's in your party, in your individual life, um, and take those steps to correct it. And that's, that's growth. That's what we're all living for. And that's, these are the choices that we're facing. On one side, we have a party who's willing to do that writ large. And on another side, we have a party who embraces the, the sin, the corruption, the criminality, and says, oh, no, no, we're just going to cover it all up and pretend it's you. That is so destructive and dangerous. Yeah, I mean, the party of projection is really what the party of personal responsibility used to be, you know? And it, it's so interesting because you're talking about you had to reflect on your own life when you were coming out of your own Trump years. And unfortunately, in the Republican Party, which I don't think is the Republican Party anymore, and I think we need to be really clear, like, this is not your dad's Republican Party. This is mega. The Republican Party you knew is gone. They are gone. And the quicker we kind of come to terms with that, the more uh, prepared we'll be to deal with what's actually happening to us, you know? And I think that starts with, as you said, personal responsibility, but on a party level. If they could just uh, address where they're at, they wouldn't be here. And they've had so many opportunities, so many opportunities. You know, they had a come to Jesus moment after they lost to Obama. And they were like, geez, we are not growing with the country. We are not reflecting where the country is going. We are not getting new voters, young voters, people of color. Um, we need to adjust that. But instead of adjusting that, they doubled down. They doubled down on uh, grievance. They doubled down on anger. They doubled down on white Christian supremacy. And that's how we got Donald Trump. And then they had a chance to get rid of him in the per first impeachment. They didn't do it. They had a chance to get rid of him in the second impeachment. He couldn't have run again. They didn't do it. Uh, they had a chance to distance themselves after January 6th. They didn't do it. They had a chance to distance themselves uh, when he said the election was stolen. They didn't do it. And now they're stuck with it because they are who he is. There is no separation. There's no light between it. And as you said, now Donald Trump is calling the shots in the Republican-controlled House, not the House members themselves. It's insane. It's insane. It is. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, I and mean, you're talking about, you know, that opportunity after Obama. Oh, because and I can't fucking help but think Justice about Department Murdoch would tell you a goddamn dog. 
the role that he singularly played with Fox News, and again, this is a very personal lived experience for me, I didn't see it as racist. I didn't see it as white supremacist. I saw it as patriotic. I saw it as, you know, these people that love a face that I love, which I have now come to see as complete hypocrisy and blasphemy. Um, but they, they really hijacked the freedom, and while they were doing it, painted beginning with Obama, which in retrospect I now understand was so overtly racist, painted the Democrats as this party that wants to tear our country down and put it up in flames, and they do it to this day. It is so divisive and destructive. Um, and I don't think, you know, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Donald Trump without Fox News. We wouldn't have any kind of this sustained support for who are really domestic terrorists in our country um, if it weren't for this massive media entity who's poisoned so many minds. Oh, yeah. But I would say to you, you know, I think people need to give themselves a break. Uh, I've had, you know, many, many family members who have fallen down that Fox rabbit hole. And I think the thing is, is that you said, you know, you can see in retrospect how overtly racist the coverage of Obama was. And I think the thing is, it actually wasn't overtly racist. It was subversively racist and yeah, dog whistly and in a way that people could get away with thinking, yeah, no, it's just that he's not a citizen. That's why I don't like him. You yeah. know? And it's not only that, but they... You know, Lee, they use these token, they, and I, I recognize this from the entertainment <laughs> industry, they use token people of color, yeah. token people of different faiths, whether it's Muslim or whatever, to say, oh, no, this is not a racist position. So there's constantly enforcement on networks like Fox from black people, from Hispanic people, from people of different faiths to say, oh, no, everything you're saying here is justified. You know, yeah. and it's not racist. So it makes it, it, it further does exactly what you're doing, saying it did, which is it's not over. It is subversive. <laughs> yeah, it's the here's my black friend uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> theory of doing things. And I think the yeah. thing is, is that like there are people who allow themselves to be tokens too. Uh, there's women yeah. that allow themselves to be tokens. There's politicians like Tim Scott that allow themselves to be tokens. There are people like Candace Owen who are clearly just cashing oh in on uh, their yeah, tokenism yeah. to make money. Um, and it's unfortunate because, like you said, the the detriment to the country uh, that Fox News has been allowed to inflict on us is one of the things, but it's not, I mean, to be clear, it's not just America, right? Like, Brexit happened because of Rupert Murdoch. His yeah. media in England allowed Brexit to happen, and it, that was based on a full-blown lie about the amount of people that were coming in. And after the election, they were like, oh, yeah, those numbers we gave you, none of that was right, you know? And it, you just think, how did this one Australian come in and like trash so many countries for profit, honest yeah. to God, for profit and for, you know, I would say relations because Donald Trump has many relationships with Russia, but so does Rupert Murdoch. And, you know, this kind of idea of we will be able to destroy your country without ever firing a shot, it, it happened from the inside. We did it to ourselves. We allowed yeah. it to happen. And it's one of the reasons why if I had my druthers along with uh, improving our education in America, because I really do think um, Trump saying he loves the uneducated is true because the stupider we are and the less informed we are, the easier we are to manipulate. So we need to work on education, but we also really need a truth in broadcasting law. We need a fairness doctrine for the new millennium. We need to say that we, the American people, don't believe we should be able to be lied to for profit. And there has to be a law that says that. So you can't just smear someone. You can't just say... Joe Biden is doing X, Y, and Z, and everyone gets outraged about it when it's just a blatant lie, and no one 
is held responsible for it unless there is a civil trial from a company like Dominion. Dominion it shouldn't come down to people suing these companies for money, and yet them staying on the air. You pay in almost $800 million, you're still on the air spewing lies. That should not be allowed. And we as a people should ask for that. Yeah, and when and if, and I think that's, you know, there's so much so much to be taken into, into consideration with laws like that. Uh, like a fair, you know, reinstitution of the fairness doctrine because you some know version, yeah. some version of it, right? Right, the, right out of the gate, that there's going to be this uh, gaslighting that oh, it's an attack on free speech, right? <laughs> That's what they always do. They they blatantly attack others' free speech. Again, I lived this experience from the right wing and the Trumps, um, and then they pretend that others, you know, trying to set things right and stand up for truth and justice are attacking free speech. And so, you know, there has to be, if, if there is going to be a fairness doctrine, a, um, you know, we have to really get better at defining the narrative of what is free speech versus blatant misinformation and disinformation and foreign influence um, versus, you know, real attacks on free speech like the ones that I and many others experienced from a real weaponized Justice Department. Um, you know, I think the free speech debate so vitally needs to be clarified in this country because it's another way that they use to portray themselves as victims when they're anything but. Yeah, and I think the idea that we need to remember is that free speech doesn't mean you get to say anything without consequence. It's the whole free speech from from Article One of the Constitution is um, is about the government not being able to come after you for what you say, particularly what you say about the government itself. Um, that's why companies like Twitter were able to take people uh, down for hate speech, because they were a private company and they were allowed to do that. The same reason now that Elon owns it, that he can let everyone and their mother, uh, Nazi lover, you know, be on the, sh on the network saying whatever they want on the feed. Um, because it is a private company and they can do whatever they want. It actually has nothing to do with the free speech doctrine of America. And I think when it comes down to it, we need to have rules that keep the public safe. Just like you have lines on the highway to tell us which lane to drive in, just like we have rules for our speed in our cars, and we have rules for drinking and driving, and we have rules for how old you have to be to drink or how old you have to be to go to, the, to war. We should have rules that keep us safe because if we learned anything from the pandemic, it's that we're now questioning science, right? We're questioning if, if masks work, if vaccines are safe. If like all these things that keep us safe we are now questioning. We question if our elections are real, if our elections are safe, if they're lying to us about who won elections. That's all misinformation weaponized to make people question truth. And I think our media has done us a terrible disservice trying to get as many eyeballs on their screens by pandering to everybody than just telling us the truth. You know, I keep going back to that old saying that's like a journalist's job is not to hear one person say it's not raining and one person say it's raining and <laughs> report them both, right? Your job is to look out the window and tell us the truth, right? Yeah. Like, that's the job. And yeah. I think we've, we've had a huge disservice for that, and I think we need to ask more of Absolutely. our media um, because I think it would really help us. Yeah, and when you talked, when you were talking about the whole Brexit dilemma and the influence of Fox News, and I can't help but thinking that Rupert Murdoch got his start in tabloids. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this before. You know, our our society is so susceptible to to really like pop culture influence. I mean, Donald well, we love Trump, smut. Yeah, and Donald loves smut. <laughs> but Donald Trump was like a pop culture figure. I mean, that's what The Apprentice did for him. And and we don't, um, you know. 
our news organizations should be the backstop, like you're saying, to give us factual information, not be engaged in this, like, infotainment for ratings and profit like they are doing. I mean, last week I was up to here and, you know, people people are saying in the comments as I would gave my open, Jessica is torqued. Yeah, I was torqued. Like, stop freaking platforming Donald Trump. This is insane. He is a domestic terrorist. He tried to overthrow our country. And, and the, the platforming and mainstreaming of him has a real impact on people's perception. You know, when you put a legitimate person or someone, you know, who's supposed to be legitimate in their job as a journalist next to him, that legitimizes him. And we can't afford to do that anywhere in any forum. No, exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, that's the problem, is that you keep putting him on the air and calling yourself real journalists, except no one pushes back on him. That The interview from last week, uh, where he was on Meet the Press, they didn't do that live. I mean, they could have fact-checked him after the event and put it up on the screen as he was speaking. If he says one thing, you put the truth on the screen. That would have been journalism. What they were showing us was how many Trump voters and how many angry liberal voters can we get to watch this show for advertising dollars. And that serves us no one except the uh, people that own networks. Yeah, it does. And then, and like I said last week, full circle moment for NBC because they were the ones that, that created so much of this with The Apprentice. But, um, you know, we will, co- we will continue to call it out, won't we? Yeah, we have to. <laughs> we have to. to. <laughs> We're in trouble. Yes. The nation is in trouble. And I think that's the thing people need to Very remember. Serious. The nation really is in trouble. Yeah. And we can't just assume someone else is going to come along and make yeah. sure that we don't go down a Hungarian or Russian rabbit hole. Like, we could easily become an authoritarian nation in a blink of an eye, and people won't know how to reverse it. You know, I keep thinking of those pictures of Iran in the 70s. And you know, all these women on the beach and, you know, in their cool mod dresses and their big 60s hairdos. And, and, and then I think of Iran today and all these women who are trying so hard to not just be murdered for showing their hair and to have their voices heard or they're arrested and hung for dancing. And I think, is America so foolish that we think that we are immune to that? Because yeah. we're not. And then yeah. the amount of people who I know who absolutely realize we're not immune to that, are terrified by that, and then are talking about, well, I'm going to move to New Zealand, to Spain, to Portugal, to Canada. You know, and I think, just to be clear, if America goes authoritarian, there is nowhere in the world that you are safe. You are not safe in Portugal. You are not definitely not safe in Canada. How long before an authoritarian government under a DeSantis or a Trump turns their eye on Canada, right? And says, boy, you've got a lot of natural resources up there, and we have a whole military, and you have nothing. Seconds. Seconds. Yeah. Which is yeah. one of the reasons why we are supporting the war, Russia's in war on Ukraine, right? Because yes. we don't want to live in a world in which a bigger nation can just turn their eye on their neighbor and be like, we would like you to be part of us. That's not how it works. You can't no. just have autocratic nations storming into democratic nations, killing their people, taking their land. That's not the kind of world most of us want to live in. And America has been able to support the democratic nation without getting into the war themselves. But it's essential that Ukraine wins for the future of the world most of us want to live in. 
Obviously, obviously. And I have zero patience for these nutcases like Ramaswamy who are saying that supporting Ukraine is not putting America's interests first. Doing anything but supporting Ukraine is putting Russia first, is putting the autocrats of this world first. And our investment in the security and, and sovereignty of a democratic country like Ukraine is absolutely in our interest as the, the leaders of the free world. Our number one interest, you know, I, I get so, so like, peeved when people, I hear, you know, sometimes I'll have these conversations late with Trump supporters or, or Trump like supporters, even Trump supporters in, <laughs> Trump supporters in denial who will say they're all bad or, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. And then they tell me that um, NATO got too close to Russia. NATO got too close to Russia. So I'm like, okay, so if someone moves in next to you who you don't like, I guess you can just go into their house and start robbing their house. And when they say, get out of my house, you can say, you say, give me, uh, just give me more of your belongings. Give me your TV. I'm going to maybe take some of your children. And Hi there. We're listening to Lee McGowan on Jessica Denson, Politics Girl. I mean, uh, lights on. Let's see here. They they uh, launched the first of its kind American Climate Corps, which is this workforce to train uh, young people to uh, for jobs in clean energy and climate resilience. It's going to support a wide range of jobs to restore coastal wetlands, um, help with forest management, fighting wildfires, and building other clean energy projects. I know that this is something that the climate movement has been pushing for for a long time, and here you have president biden delivering on it so important so important and like we need to deliver for the young people these are their priorities groups like the sunshine movement that have been working so hard uh to uh improve the environment we can't say to them we're not looking we're not listening we're not paying attention you know that's how they end up in the green party voting for a third party isn't it funny lee that we that we define like the climate issue as a young person issue like it's literally like the survival of the planet climate is a huge thing for me i i went to the very first earth day celebration in toronto in the 90s i remember we were like yeah we're all gonna recycle this will be great you know we had no idea that the gas companies knew they were trashing the planet and hiding the information and you know there's just been so much devastation and so much uh, misinformation again. Here yes. we are again with the misinformation. And the thing is, is that there's so much potential um, to be leaders in green energy, to be innovators in green energy, to make money from these yes. new industries, from Absolutely. making batteries to making windmills. To There are so many things that we could innovate again. We could be the, the nation that, you know, that is the leader in green jobs, in climate emergency, in climate rescue. America saves the day. That's what we all, oh, we love those stories, right? We could be that. And we keep missing the opportunity to be these world leaders again in yeah. this new uh, world because we're stuck with like an anchor to the oil and gas companies and fossil fuels. And it's the young people that are like, yo, stop you know and so yeah. then you have this 80 year old president delivering and today he was he was talking with the about the gun um the new gun uh white house gun uh prevention yes. uh, group and yes. he was up on stage with himself and the vice president and maxwell frost you know the youngest congressman uh in the house yeah. yes and it's like maxwell's 26 right yeah. and the president is 80 and they both have the same agenda to try and help gun violence, to help the environment, to yeah. 
protect democracy. And so it isn't just a young person thing, of course, but I do think we need to answer the young people's call when they ask for it so they know we're listening and so they can see that change might not happen as quickly as we all need it to and we all want it to, but it is happening and it is happening from one party only. Only, absolutely. One party only addressing intergenerational needs. I mean, literally existential needs, the survival of our country, like the, the kids being able to go to school without being, you know, fear of mowed down to death. I mean, it's mm. unthinkable. You're talking about, um, you know, your, your early days celebrating Earth Day. It, it made me think of, you know, another kind of weird place that I was in supporting the Republican Party for many years, you're looking at someone who like stopped eating meat when she was 10 years old and like loves animals more than anything else. Like doesn't wait. I don't waste food. I don't waste anything. Like I have always been anti-waste, anti-pollution. And yet I was caught up into thinking that somehow, you know, the climate agenda was corrupt for years because I was poisoned by this propaganda. Even somebody like me and I met others like me who, um, you know, were just so swayed by the propaganda of, of the right that they were acting and voting against their own best interests and things that they held so dear. And I think that's the case for so many Americans who still support Republicans or support Donald Trump or the right wing. They don't understand that these people are actually against their own self-preservation and interests. Um, I wanted to play a clip from President Biden, you know, obviously the issue of, you know, protecting our children is completely nonpartisan. And he really brought out the stakes today at the White House. They, guns, I never thought I'd even remotely say this in my whole career. Guns are the number one killer of children in America. Guns are the number one killer of children in America, the United States of America. More than car accidents, more than cancer, more than other diseases. In 2023, so far, our country has experienced more than 500 mass shootings and well over 30,000 deaths due to gun violence. This is totally unacceptable. It's not who we are. And we have to act. We have to act now. And let me be very clear. If members of the Congress refuse to act, then we'll need to elect new members of Congress that will act. I say this to people all the time, like, we want change, right? You, we want change, we want it to happen, um, but we still have to work within the system we're given, right? So we have an election coming next year, and he's saying, if we want, if these people are not going to give us common sense gun legislation when 80% of the country is for it, then yeah. we have to elect new people. And um, I think the thing is that people need to understand is that when we come into a presidential year, we get confused that if I just elect a different president, then everything will change. But that is not how our system works. That's not how the two-party system works. Like, we've had a two-party system since the 1800s, right? And since then, no candidate outside of those two parties has even come close to winning the presidency, right? So in the past 100 years, only... The only third party candidates that have carried even a single state only happened three times, right? So uh, there's a man named Robert LaFollette. He won Wisconsin in 
1924. Then segregationist and Dixiecrat Strom Thurmond won four Southern states in 1948. And then former Alabama governor uh, George Wallace won uh, five states in the South um, on that same segregationist racist platform in 1968. So the highest percent of a popular vote that a third party or independent has ever received in this country was Ross Perot in 1992 when he won 18.9% of that vote. But Ross Perot's you know, uh, favorability dropped to 8.4% when he ran again in 1996. And since then, only one third party candidate has won more than 3% of the popular vote. And that was libertarian Gary Johnson in 2016, which is, of course, the same year we got Rick and Trump, right? So we need to understand that an election spoiler, which is what we're calling third parties, is a non-winning candidate whose presence on the ballot affects which candidate can win. So typically, a third-party candidate ends up taking votes from the party that they most closely align with. So if we're talking about um, environmental stuff, so it, let's take the Green Party, right? A Green Party candidate is typically an rid of the Republican the Party. So voters want a more environmentally conscious, a more left-wing candidate, and then they vote for the Green Party in the presidential election, and they end up helping the numbers of the more right Republican candidate, right? So that's what happened in 2016 with Jill Stein. She received just over 1% of the national vote, and she had no chance of actually winning the presidency. But the votes that went to her in swing states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin ultimately pushed the Democrat vote down and allowed those states to go to Trump. So the green voters wanted more environmental candidate, and they ended up with a guy that got at the EPA, right? So that's the lesson here. I think we need to think about that. No matter what we want for our party and no matter what changes need to happen, um, no matter how obvious... that we need to do things like guns are the number one killer of children in America. Boy, should we do something about that? You know, like it's so obvious. And yet we have to understand that then we have to vote for the party that will get us closest to that uh, solution and not undermine our own goals. Not undermine. Yes. Exactly. So exactly. third party candidates, whether that's RFK or Cornell West or Kanye West or no labels, you, yeah. you know, they don't need a whole lot of politics, girl. Politics, girl. Lee McGowan. Good Scottish name. On. touch everything we touch turns to gold but not the asinine clown 
Touch. A lot of support no. to swing an election to the person that is furthest away from the people who voted third party, right? Absolutely. But I think we need to be really careful that if we want these kind of changes, we need to do it at the state level, at the local level, do it for mayor, build it from the inside out, from the ground up. Don't think you're going to get some pie-in-the-sky idea president because they just cannot win in our system. No, they can't even, win. They cannot win. And yeah. even if they did, like, all the stars aligned and some you know, candidate out of nowhere took a third-party vote, they still can't get the things that they're promising done because they have to work with Congress. And, yeah. Congress and maybe at some idealistic future point, we might have a place for a third party in this country. Like, we are not there. We are at a like, crisis moment where we have to align with the one sane, non-autocratic party in this country. And I was really gratefully this week to see some alarm bells being raised about this new labels effort. I and mean, even Democratic groups are uh, going on the offense. There's one called Democracy Alliance, who is a network of, of liberal donors. And they're really urging people um, to, to, to be wary of this new labels effort. Um, they have, they're trying to pressure them privately to not not launch a candidate just if, if if their interest really is to have someone who will protect democracy they must understand that inserting themselves into this fight is only going to help donald trump um and so i think i think those no part no uh, label people know that Come on, yeah well that's and that's goal. that's the other yeah that's the other really that's the other thing because their funding is totally shrouded they have not been transparent at all about it you know there have been there's an article in mother jones about how they're using a platform a fundraising platform that is also supporting some of the most extreme right-wing candidates um and funding is being you know diverted over to them so it's it's not i think you're right in saying they know they know it oh, listen the, yeah. the donors we do know about are all republican donors yeah. i mean harlan crow's in there that's to, you know Clarence Thomas is sugar daddy, right? They've yeah. hired Republican staffers. They're using Republican vendors. They have Republican pollsters. These are people who have donated millions of dollars to Mitch McConnell, to Glenn Youngkin, to Tom Cotton, to Kevin McCarthy, right? Like, I don't care if you gave money to Manchin the past four years, you're not yeah. a Democratic donor, you're a corporate donor. So like, let's just be really careful. And then the people that are running this organization all have an ax to grind against Democrats. Like the guy that started it, he was fired by Clinton, right? He hates Hillary. He hates Bill Clinton. You know, there's another guy who was fired by Biden, fired by Obama. There's a guy that was fired by the NAACP. He was sued by his own people. Like, these are people like persona non grata in Democratic mm -hmm. parties, in the Democrat circles in general, and they have an axe to grind. So mm -hmm. if you look even at their policies, because we don't know who their candidate would even be, and they're going to do it all behind closed doors. Their donors are behind closed doors. They'll pick the primary candidate behind closed doors. They cannot win a presidency, so you know that they're a spoiler vote. But even the policies we do know about, they're all Republican policies. They're national voter ID. They're against any kind of censorship of big tech. So it's like Elon-style Nazi stuff, right? They have no policy on healthcare, no policy on climate change. They want more military money. And I'm like, more military? Like, yeah. think really right-wing uh, platforms. And I think we need to understand that these third-party candidates, any of them, they're being deeply deceitful to the nation, right? They're telling people that they're offering a choice 
And they're not. They're offering an illusion, right? Like, there is no way a third-party candidate could ever be president the way our system is set up, period. And so what they're doing is taking people's votes and siphoning it somewhere else. And I think people need to be really aware that they're either making a vote to be um, uh, a spoiler vote. They may know that they're doing that, but then they may as well just go and vote for Donald Trump themselves. Or they have to know that they're making a protest vote, but they're not going to get what they want or any of the policies that they want. And I think what you have to do is vote for the party that's going to get you closest to where you want to go. And I think we have to be really careful right now, because like you said, like, this is it. There is no coming back from this. This 2024, it's, we're not dealing with the lesser of two evils. I mean, we... Politics girl, question mark. here right this there is no lesser of two evils like i fundamentally disagree with that narrative in general everything that the democrats have accomplished in biden's first term especially before the republicans took over the house and turned it into like a gong show um their plans that they have moving forward the things that they're doing now from climate to gun control to helping people who are in debt because of medical um and student student loans um this is all well, success and beneficial. I know yes, it's not yes, evil it's at all. There's, it's, I know. Like they're I know. pro women's rights, pro voting yeah. rights, pro union rights, pro environment, pro democracy. Yeah. Like it's not the lesser of two evils. Not right? at all. They're That's a why good when party, like, and we should be like, saying that. Exactly. When you have somebody like Chris. probably about a million Americans would still be alive. Christy come out who is right on, on his, all his condemnation of Donald Trump and then acts like we have to save our country from Joe Biden. I'm like, please stop. I mean, this is please just, stop. Like, we should really, all be saying that. We should be like, yeah. what are you talking about? It's insanity. It's insanity. Anybody, anybody who genuinely acknowledges and understands the risk of Donald Trump would be uniting with Joe Biden. Period. Full stop. Full stop. Um, but, you know, you mentioned I was not aware of that connection that, that uh, Harlan Crow had to no labels. But we had, you know, speaking of Harlan Crow, the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas, new reporting yet again today of... Clarence Thomas being invited to these donor events with the Koch brothers, with the Kochs. Uh, again, in 2018, not having disclosed these trips on his financial disclosures. I mean, when is the evidence of corruption going to end with Clarence Thomas? And, you know, we could bring this back full circle to how we started this show of Democrats calling out corruption in their ranks and Republicans tolerating, you know, the most...
and Overturned Citizens United. The most corrupt because they are adding to their power dynamic. That's all they care about. Power at all costs. Doesn't matter how corrupt or compromised you are as long as you are doing our bidding. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I think that it's, it's just amazing that the court that the right built is corrupt. And corrupt people give us corrupt rulings. You know, the party that the right built is corrupt, and it's everyone from uh, George Santos to Donald Trump. You know, like these are corrupt people. Ken Baxter, my God, he's the head of law enforcement. Like he's the head. We had. I did an interview with. In Texas. Uh, I did an interview with James Tallarico, a Democratic uh, representative in Texas, who's been on the show several times about the Texan. Of, uh, or the Paxton quote-unquote acquittal, a great interview that we're going to put out this weekend. It's just, it's it's outrageous. It is Completely outrageous. outrageous. It's outrageous. And, you know, I did an amazing, I had an amazing conversation with Dahlia Lithwick about this on the Politics Girl podcast a couple weeks ago about, and I would highly recommend people go and listen to that because we were talking about the courts and she knows everything about the courts. And honestly, we can do something about this corruption, right? Because there, this is corruption and we should say that, right? Like, how much are we hearing about the courts and they're not even in session, right? It mostly comes down to people discovering Clarence Thomas's seemingly never ending freaking gravy train. Um, and he's completely bought and paid for. And we have to stop pretending that's not the case. He and Samuel Alito, who are the two most extreme members of that court, are also the two most bought and paid for members of that court, right? Yeah. So there's no question that there's a problem. But the idea, and Alito has said it himself, is that, well, you can't touch us. No one can, no one can regulate us. We are a standalone imperial group of people. No, they're not actually, not remotely. Why should they 
unlike every other court in the country, have no boundaries, no guardrails, no ethics to follow, right? So I think it's very important that we as a people take a step back and look at this court as a whole, right? Because this court is not used to being looked at, right? They're, they're cases are being done in the dark. They're doing everything on the shadow docket. They don't put cameras in there. We don't see them deliberating. Everything is quiet and silent. And yet the more they're scrutinized, the more questionable a lot of their decisions appear, both on and off the bench. And one of the things Dahlia says is despite how frustrated we might be with this particular court, we're actually at an amazing moment in American history where for the first time in decades, we have an opportunity to message our politics for the court. We have the yes. opportunity to say, we're not happy. We insist that you change things. We want to understand that these justices are not kings. We did not no. put them in charge. They get to decide all our laws with nine unelected people. Like that is not how it works. We no. answer to Congress and Congress can implement term limits, ethic rules. We can expand it if we, we can expand for. the court. And how do we expand the court? By electing people into our Senate who are willing to do that, who are willing to make it a court that doesn't have three justices uh, appointed by a man who lost the popular vote in a Congress. You know, I, I think I said this the first time we were on a panel together, the Senate, when they were 50-50, uh, Republicans in power represented 40 million less Americans than Democrats because of the imbalance of the Senate. So that is how disproportionate the representation of who put these justices in place is to the impact that they are having on the lives of Americans, women in particular, infringing on our rights and most basic freedoms. We the people can vote these people out and have a, you know, they call it packing the court. Give me a break. The court is packed right now. We need to balance it and expand it so that it is not packed with these corrupt people doing the bidding of their power brokers. Yeah, it's institutional change, but it's absolutely doable. And yeah. we just have to ask for it. Yeah. I mentioned to you when we talked before this episode, I kind of like to flashback sometimes. And on the subject of the Supreme Court, I don't know. I, I don't even know why this came to my mind this week. But um, we have an amazing justice in Ketanji Brown Jackson, the one one justice that Joe Biden has been able to appoint first African-American, of course, a woman justice on the Supreme Court. I love her for so many reasons, <laughs> but I I have this uh, clip that I that I it was in my mind and I just, I wanted to play it because, you know, we're talking about the role of the people, the role of each one of us. Here is a woman that accomplished amazing things and was doubted on that journey. And there's this interaction during her confirmation hearing um, last year that I just think is, is so inspirational and formative for all of us. We can take so much from it. It's, it lasts a few minutes long. So just sit back for the last few minutes of lights on indulge this, precious, amazing conversation that Alex Padilla, Senator from California, has with Katanji Brown-Jackson. Last Friday, in my preparation for these hearings, I took the opportunity to spend some time with a group mm. of students at South San Francisco High School. I went there to speak with them about this historic Supreme Court nomination and to speak with them about you. We had a great conversation about how the court's decisions affect the everyday lives of Americans and about the past and the future of the Supreme Court. But as I was speaking with the students, I couldn't help 
but be reminded <clears throat> of my own high school experience when one of my teachers discouraged me from applying to MIT because they didn't want me to be disappointed. That's what they said. I turned that discouragement into motivation. Judge Jackson, I know that you too have been doubted on your way to the seat that you find yourself in today. Even over the last three days of this hearing, your experience and qualifications have been called into question by some, despite your clear, lengthy record of talent, achievement, and accomplishment. So I want to end my time today by asking you this question. On behalf of the young people I visited with last Friday in South San Francisco, and for the many others across the country who are watching this confirmation hearing today, what would you say, Judge Jackson, to all those young Americans, the most diverse generation in our nation's history, what do you say to some of them who may doubt that they can one day achieve the same great heights that you have? Thank you, Senator. Um, that was very moving. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to young people. I appreciate it very much. I do it a lot for the reasons that you have articulated. I, um, I hope to inspire people to try to follow um, this path because I love this country. because I love the law, because I think it is important that we all invest in our future. And the young people are the future. And so I want them to know that they can do and be anything and I'll just say that um, I will tell them what uh, an anonymous person said to me once. I was walking through. I will tell them an anonymous I'd know. I will tell them what uh, an anonymous person said to me once. I was walking through Harvard Yard my freshman year. As I mentioned, I went to uh, public school and I didn't know anything about Harvard until um, my debate coach took me there to enter a speech competition and I thought, this is a great university. It was basically one of the only ones I'd seen and I said, maybe I'll apply when I'm a senior. But I get there and whoa, <laughs> so different. I'm from Miami, Florida. It, I will through Harvard Yard my freshman year. As I mentioned, I went to uh, public. I'm tweeting that uh, Kentonji Brown. 
Jackson. How do I pronounce it? school and I didn't know anything about Harvard until um, my debate coach took me there to enter a speech competition and I thought this is a great university it was basically one of the only ones I'd seen and I said maybe I'll apply when I'm a senior but I get there and whoa <laughs> so different I'm from Miami Florida Boston is very cold um, it was um, it was rough. It was different from anything I'd known. There were lots of students there who were um, prep school kids like my husband, <laughs> um, who knew all about <laughs> knew all about Harvard, and, and that was not not me. And I think the first semester I was really homesick. I was really questioning. Um, do I belong here? Can I, can I make it in this environment? And I was walking through the yard in the evening and a black woman I did not know was passing me on the sidewalk. And she looked at me and I guess she knew how I was feeling. And she leaned over as we crossed and said, Persevere. I would tell them to persevere. Thank you, Judge Jackson. You don't have to hope. I'll tell you right now, you do inspire. You are an inspiration. And I will associate myself with the... Uh, closing words of my colleague and my brother, Senator Booker, that I too refuse to let anyone steal my joy. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Senator Padilla. Senator. Anyone. Of everything about that. Any. And about Harvard, and, and that was not, not in the evening. And a black woman I did not know was passing me. On the sidewalk and she. Looked at me. And I guess she knew how I was feeling. And she leaned Padilla. over as we crossed and said, persevere. Don't let anyone steal your joy. I would tell them to persevere. Thank you, Judge Jackson. You don't have to hope. I'll tell you right now, you do 
inspire. You are an inspiration. And I will associate myself with the uh, closing words of my colleague and my brother, Senator Booker, that I too refuse to let anyone steal my joy. Thank you, Mr. Chair. In the evening, and a black woman I did not know. Senator Padilla, Senator Tillis. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just love everything about. Yeah. yeah, that was lovely, lovely. About that, it's yeah. so beautiful. It's everything we've been talking about, right? I yeah. mean, it's we have to invest in our future, and we have to do what's best for the country long term. And when she said, "I love my country," that's how I feel every day. You know, we're fighting so hard because we love the country, and if you love something. You don't give up on it, even when it's broken. You know, you say, we can do better, we can come back another day, we can fight again. And I love that the person that really saw uh, Justice Jackson there was Alex Padilla, because like we were saying, the Senate itself is so terribly undemocratic. Yeah. And there you have someone who speaks and represents one in eight Americans. California is gigantic. We have just two senators, and there's our senator right there speaking for the rest of us, saying, you are, you know, persevering. You are inspiring us. You are doing the right thing. And I thought it was very striking when he said that, you know, you have to turn discouragement into motivation. And I think the Trump year really discouraged a lot of Americans, and I think it also motivated so many of us. Yes. And... And I think that hope we have to carry on through and defeat these dark forces that have really tried to take us down. Yeah. And, you know, your show's called Lights On, lights. right? <laughs> we got the lights on. We got to keep it going and yeah. keep our country's head above water so these young people that are coming up can do so much better than what came before them. Yeah. And how many of us in any walk of life have been doubted at some point? Use, use that doubt turn it into motivation and like he so beautifully said at the end don't let anyone steal your joy absolutely mcgowan love to have you here on lights on thank you so much for spending the hour with me you're welcome thanks for having me it was great it was great thank you everybody for joining us this week on lights on i want to give a shout out to the lights on ogs the luminaries who have really uh you know built this show with us and been with us from the beginning we love you so much we love you all um, as, as always, if you want to support this show um, and support my legal efforts, you can do that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. We are 
getting our case, our original uh, foundational case against the Trump campaign to trial, and we need your support. So if you can, that is so much appreciated. What you can do to support this show completely for free is just subscribe to Jessica Denson on YouTube. Um, subscribe to Lights On with Jessica Denson wherever you get your audio podcasts. And um, <laughs> it's only taken me uh, five years and killing the Trump NDA, but I'm almost up to 10,000 followers on Twitter. I'm not a creature of social media, but if you want to put me over the edge, go follow me on Twitter until that uh, platform goes completely up in smoke. And you can follow me on other platforms that I am getting more involved in, even though this is, um, like I said, not my native territory, social media, but I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, um, and Spoutable, and I'm, I'm posting more and more on YouTube as we go. So you can do all those things to support this show and keep... Sloppy Folks, Republicans get torched by Democrats. And A.G. Garland in live hearing. I need you by my side from the very start. No, you don't. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. It was a brutal. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. It was a shameful MAGA Republican circus at the House Judiciary Committee hearing where Attorney General Merrick Garland was a witness. I want to show you the MAGA Republicans spreading conspiracy theories, lies, and baselessly attacking Merrick Garland, but Attorney General Garland punched back, somewhat even out of character, because he's normally even-keeled. He had enough and pushed back against these MAGA Republicans. I'll show you that. And then I want to show you some of these Democratic superstars in Congress who were exposing the MAGA Republican hypocrisy and asking pitch-perfect questions. It was a sight to behold indeed. Let's go through what went down at the judiciary hearing. First up, Matt Gates saying to Merrick Garland, don't you think there are things that look weird regarding Hunter Biden? Watch what took place. Play the clip. Mr. Attorney General, has anyone at the department told President Biden to knock it off with Hunter? I mean, you guys are knock charging Hunter Biden on some crimes, investigating him on, on others. You've got the president bringing Hunter Biden around to state dinners. Has anyone told him to knock it off? Our job in the Justice Department is to pursue our cases without reference uh, to what's happening in the outside world. Just yes or no? Have you done that? That is what we do. So it's a no? No one that I know of has spoken to the White House about the Hunter Biden case. I'm wondering, Ben. Okay, I got it. I got it. So Hunter Biden is selling art to pay for his $15,000 a month rent in Malibu. How can you guarantee that the people buying that art aren't doing so to gain favor with the president. <laughs> Job of the Justice Department is to investigate criminal allegations. We have information. Are you investigating this? I mean, someone who bought yeah. Hunter Biden's art ended up with a prestigious appointment to a federal position. Doesn't it look weird that he's making he's become this immediate success in the art world as his dad is president of the United States? Isn't that odd? I'm not going to comment about any specific... Not going to comment, not going to investigate. So right. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then-Vice President Biden. Are you confident he has stopped doing that? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer 
told us that Hunter sold the appearance of access to then Vice President Biden. Are you confident he has stopped? I'm going to say again that all these matters are within the purview of Mr. Weiss. I have not interfered with them, and yeah, I do if not. If you were confident that he had stopped, you could. And I do not intend to interfere with him. Had, I'm not quite sure if this is even a question by MAGA Republican Tom McClintock, but he asked this question attacking David Weiss, the Trump appointed prosecutor who's responsible for the criminal case against Hunter Biden, who now has special counsel status. And Republican Tom McClintock also attacked. Jack Smith, it should be noted that the MAGA Republicans were the ones who wanted David Weiss. David Weiss is their guy. He's a Trump appointee. But now I guess, oh, he's a rhino so the MAGA Republicans can spread their conspiracies. Play this clip. Uh, Mr. McClintock from California is recognized. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, looking again at the appointment of, of Jack Smith and, and David Weiss, th this double standard of, of justice couldn't be more glaring. Jack Smith was deeply involved in the IRS scandal that targeted conservative uh, political groups to harass. Uh, his malicious prosecution of former Governor uh, uh, McDonnell was unanimously overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Chief Justice uh, Roberts rebuked Smith directly for attempting to, to criminalize political activity. You appointed him to prosecute Joe Biden's chief rival for the presidency. And then we have the appointment of David Weiss. Weiss deliberately allowed the statute of limitations to run out on any charges that could have implicated Joe Biden in influence peddling. Uh, he originally offered Hunter Biden a sweetheart deal that was ultimately upended by the court. And he's the one you appointed to pursue the charges that could implicate Joe Biden. That leads me to only two explanations, either corruption or incompetence. So which is it? Those are the kind of questions that judges would rule out of order. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you would. <laughs> Which is Look, uh, I, I said uh, before, and I will say again, Mr. Weiss was the Republican-appointed United States attorney, appointed by but, but President this, this, Trump. Do you, at least, do you at least see the obvious uh, double standard uh, applied in these two appointments? Mr. Weiss was a Republican appointee. Mr. W Mr. Um, Smith is uh, not um, registered to either party. His entire career was as a career prosecutor. Are. I'm not but asking what their party registrations like are. I'm asking about their records. Next clip here, Merrick Garland just watches the circus unfold as MAGA Republican Troy Nels is yelling at Democrat Jerry Nadler to pipe down as Nels is spreading the conspiracy about Victor Shokin, the prosecutor who the EU and democracies across the country wanted fired, who was not investigating Burisma where Hunter Biden worked, and in fact was in Burisma's pocket. Was a, this was a corrupt prosecutor. By removing him, it made it more likely Burisma would be prosecuted. And by the way, none of this has anything to do with President Biden. But watch this. There's one simple morning hack that any woman can use to get rid of wrinkles almost overnight. Did you know that saggy jowls are not a normal part of aging? Most not fired. You're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who there was you go. solid. 
Mr. Attorney General, what you just saw there was Joe Biden in his arrogance and role as the vice president in this country saying if you don't fire Shokin, the United States isn't given the $1 billion loan. Why would Joe Biden say that as the vice president? Why would he say such a thing? Was it policy? Was it our policy at the time? Yes or no? It wasn't. I have documents here. Interagency policy committee dated a Point of information. Is the gentleman ever going to let the I'm on my time piped down. Saying Shokin had made significant reforms. He's made significant reforms. Shokin did. Matter of fact, John Kerry says he was impressive. And you know, within a few months after Shokin was fired, they appoint a prosecutor that said, we're not going to look in the Burisma anymore. Cancel that. Forget it. We're not looking in the Burisma. Boom. Here comes the million dollars. Joe Biden threatened the Ukrainian president and the prime minister. Everybody can see it. The fire Shokin or the United States won't give the billion dollars. If that is not quid pro quo, sir, what is? I will tell you what it is, and America agrees with me. It's bribery and it's impeachable. Are you going to do something about it? I bet you not, and that's why you, sir, also need to be impeached. I yield back. And then things just are completely off the rails. Play the clip. Lose count of the number of paid informants on January 6th? Let me answer your question about China. I want you to answer this question. I only get five minutes. You've already sort of, I think, screwed the pooch on China. So January 6th, did you lose count of the number of federal assets? Did you lose count and order an audit? Gentlemen's time has expired. I, I get an answer to the question of did, he, did they lose count? Well, let him answer the question. The time has expired. The, the Attorney General can respond. China is the most aggressive, most dangerous Mr. adversary Mr. General, that the United States faces, and we are doing everything within our power to rebut that, to stop that, to prevent their invasions, both kinetic both um, and through cyberspace. And we will continue If, you, if to someone that. gave that answer in your courtroom when you were a judge, you would tell them they were being non-responsive, and you would direct them to answer the question. Point of order, Your Time is entering the witness. Point of order, expired. I got it. I just, I was, I was, I was, I was. You like Your Honor? You want to stick with that? Yeah, I was getting laughed at to call me Your Honor. Point of order, either way. Okay, I understand that too. All right, but the gentleman asked his question before his time expired. The Attorney General did not respond to the gentleman's question. I was hoping he would respond to the question about the confidential human sources on January 6th. He didn't respond to that. I'm sure we're going to get uh, we're uh, going to uh, get an answer uh, to that later. Of course, now, Mr. Chairman, there were, there were eight the questions before that that he was not given a chance to answer. Understand, so but I, the witness might have thought. But the witness doesn't, Mr. Chairman. Point of order: the witness does not control the time. Hang on, hang on. exactly right. Members control the time. If they want to switch their question and focus on one more question that they'd like an answer to, I want to give the witness a chance to respond to that final question that Mr. Gates asked. He didn't respond to it. Someone else is going to ask it, I'm sure. We now recognize the gentleman from Tennessee for five minutes. Thank you, sir. I'll just follow up a few of the questions we were asked here. Did Devin Archer not say Joe Biden did nothing wrong? Here is MAGA Republican Victoria Sparks. Just in a moment, I'm going to show you the Democrats clap back, which is incredible. But here is Victoria Sparks, MAGA Republican, in her questioning of Attorney General Garland. And she's supporting the insurrectionist here and saying they're just people who brought strollers and their kids for a day in the park. Play the clip. Are you aware that a lot of Americans are now... Uh, afraid of being prosecuted by your department. Are you aware about that? Are you aware of that? I'm just saying, are you aware or not? Uh, I think that uh, constant attacks on the department and saying uh, it's that not a task. Well, let me let me give you an example. I don't know we talk what... about January 6th. 
people. Sorry? Yeah, there are some people came on January 6th. There are probably were some people that came on January 6th here, you know, that had bad intent. But a lot of good Americans from my district came here because they are sick and tired of this government not serving them. They came with strollers and the kids, and there was chaotic situation because the proper security wasn't provided. That's a question that was answered really why. Why we debated for 45 minutes on the floor and didn't stop the debate after the people broke in into the Capitol. But these people came, they were throwing the smoke bombs into the crowd with strollers with kids. People were showed up, you know, FBI agent to people's houses. You had in my district, in my town, FBI phone numbers all over the district. Please call. Call that. People are truly afraid. I just want to make sure if you're not aware that you are. All right. Merrick Garland starts punching back. Here, MAGA Republican Jeff Van Drew accused Merrick Garland of religious discrimination. It should be noted that Merrick Garland's grandparents fled horrific anti-Semitism and his grandparents' siblings were killed in the Holocaust. Watch how Merrick Garland responds to this. Play this clip. This $60 tactical shovel is for free today. No hidden charges, no recurring fees, just cover the shipping. Picture this. You're out in the wild building a campfire. Attorney General, through the chair, I ask you, do you agree that traditional Catholics are violent extremists? I have no question. idea what your what the traditional uh, means here. The Catholics, idea, let Catholics me just that go I to church. Your, may I answer your question? Yes, the idea no. that someone with my family background would discriminate against any religion is so outrageous, Mr. so absurd. Mr. Attorney General, it was your FBI your that did this. It was your FBI that was sending, and we have the memos, we have the emails, we're sending undercover agents into Catholic churches. Both I and the director this of the FBI the have said that we were appalled have said that we were appalled by that memo. So then you agree the that they're not extremists? We were appalled by that memo. Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? I think that... Are they extremists or not, Attorney General? Everything in that memo is Are appalling. they extremists or not? I'm asking a simple question. Say no, if you think that was wrong. Catholics are not extremists. No. Was anyone fired for drafting and circulating the anti-Catholic memo? You have in front of you the inspection uh, division's investigation. Just tell me yes or no, please. I don't know. We have the no answer. time. I don't know the answer to that. There okay. Do you agree that parents attending school board meetings should be categorized? Should parents, should parents that go to school board meetings and are very vocal about their kids' education should be they should they be classified as domestic terrorists? Uh, of course not. And my memo made clear that vigorous objections ba uh, to policies in schools are protected so it's no. by the First Amendment. And this is this MAGA Republican conspiracy that they spread that. The Department of Justice is going after parents who argue against school boards. That is not happening at all anywhere. Stop with these stupid lies. If these parents are threatening terroristic acts and threatening violence, that's not a First Amendment thing. That becomes a crime. I know MAGA Republicans, oh, the First Amendment allows us to be terrorists. It does not. 
that's when the Department of Justice would get involved where threats of violence would take place. That is called a crime. And I know MAGA Republicans are not about law and order. But here, Merrick Garland reminds the Judiciary Committee that his job, unlike how Donald Trump viewed Bill Barr, the Attorney General is not the President's lawyer, not the prosecutor for Congress. The Department of Justice works for the American people. Play the clip. And our job is to uphold the rule of law. That means we apply the same laws to everyone. There is not one set of laws for the powerful and another for the powerless, one for the rich and another for the poor, one for Democrats and another for Republicans, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity or religion. Our job is to pursue justice without fear or favor. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. Our job is to follow the facts and the law, and that is what we do. All of us recognize that with this work comes public scrutiny, criticism, and legitimate oversight. These are appropriate and important given the matters and the gravity of the matters that are before the department. But singling out individual career public servants who are just doing their jobs is dangerous particularly at a time of increased threats to the safety of public servants and their families. We will not be intimidated. We will do our jobs free from outside influence, and we will not back down from defending our democracy. Third, I want to explain why we approach our job in this way. Democrat Hank Johnson pointing out the hypocrisy of MAGA Republicans with Jared Kushner, who, unlike Hunter Biden, was working for the United States government, working in the Trump administration, gets $2 billion uh, from the Middle East, $3 billion from the Middle East, $2 billion from Saudi Arabia. Play the clip. The nation watches as... Republicans have no answer for why they want to uh, focus and obsess on uh, Hunter Biden receiving two million dollars for uh, from Barisma uh, after serving on a board that he said he was not qualified to serve on, but yet the Saudi Arabians gave two billion dollars uh, to uh, Jared Kushner, who conducted Middle East strategy. For his dear old uh, uh, dad, Donald Trump, uh, he got $2 billion uh, for something that he is not uh, equipped to do, which is investment banking. And so Republicans looking at uh, Hunter Biden instead of, uh, instead of uh, Jared Kushner, Americans don't understand uh, how that could be. Here is Adam Schiff, Democrat. Play the clip. Let me ask you this uh, question about the prosecution of Hunter Biden. Um, the prosecutor in that case, Mr. Weiss, was appointed not by Joe Biden, but he was appointed in the first instance by Donald Trump. Is that correct? 
That's correct. And he was continued in that position, was he not? He was continued in that position, yes. And Mr. Attorney General, can you imagine, can you imagine the hue and cry you would hear from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle if you had removed him from that position? Can you imagine the, the claims that you had removed a prosecutor 